Okay, I'm ready now. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Good. It's nice to see y'all. Nice to be with y'all. If you want to stand up, we'll pray and praise God. Father, we thank you for the sunshine, for this beautiful morning, for this time together, and for this church you've built to bring us all together in your name. Um, we just uh, give you this time. Pray as we uh, praise you with these these words, these songs, and we hear your word today, that uh, we grow closer to you, become a better church for you, God. Uh, we love you. We praise you for this time. Pray for Leonard as he preaches, for us as we hear your word. Pray for the youth and everything going on that the, the wing as those seeds are being planted and tended. Thank you for all the groups that meet. Just seeking to be better for you, better followers, disciples, a better family, a better church. Uh, so we give you this morning. Uh, we praise you for, uh, for Amy and just uh, the blessing that is. I pray for uh, everything that goes on as we all get together later and just the, the moving forward from this point for you, God. So we thank you again for this morning, and uh, we praise you with these words. We uh, reach deep into the vault for this song. Most of you will probably know it. Sing praise, sing praise, 
Well, how y'all doing? Good, good. That's my Tennessee accent. Did you notice? I'm, I'm working on it, but uh, still, uh, you know, it's kind of weird coming back up here and uh, having uh, different kinds of grammar. But there is one grammar that we speak here, and that is the grammar of Jesus. And I'm so grateful to have everybody here with us today. Hope everybody is, uh, is doing well, and um, obviously if you have any prayer concerns or any needs, uh, please, um, we have a couple of things that we're working on. We do have a Google app that we're, we're trying, to, trying to dial in, and I don't know if we have the scan code on that or not. If you need to put anything in terms of a prayer request, you can scan it with your phone and then fill in the, fill in the words that uh, it prompts you to say regarding any, anything on your mind, especially prayer concerns. But before we get into all of that stuff, um, I just wanted to uh, celebrate a few things here this morning as we gather. Uh, one of them is uh, we're going through a transition with our, our youth department, and uh, it's a very exciting one. But in the meantime, we've had for the last few years Matt Cutler working tirelessly to uh, help our kids through a pretty difficult season that we've all had to share together that uh, we have not had a script for, we've not had a map for. We've just tried to keep it together and keep it centered in the Lord. So, Matt, I want you to come up here if you don't mind, okay? Um, come on up here. Um, I, everybody knows Matt, right? Matt Cutler. Um, Matt is, uh, he's actually a Timothy from this church. I don't know if you know what that means, but that, that basically means uh, he had a call to ministry uh, here at First Christian and uh, has been doing ministry in various forms over the years. And in this last uh, go around, God's called you to help out with um, our kiddos. And um, we can't express how much we appreciate all that you've done and, and your family for supporting you in taking time away from everything that uh, you might otherwise be investing in them so that you can help out, and um, we know God's going to honor that and bless you. Um, I know you haven't asked for any payment or anything like that, but we did want to give you uh, just something that says, hey, we are grateful, and, um, and, and, and we are not only thankful for your ministry, but um, trusting that as we move forward, um, God will continue to unfold whatever that is that he has in terms of the calling on your life. So um, just, I, I just want to celebrate that. And uh, as we do that together, uh, just if you get time, just thank him and thank his family uh, for what they've been able to, to share with us in terms of time, energy, and attention, and resources. 
Um, and as we, uh, as, we, as we look at Matt, I know that you see uh, Jesus reflected in his life. And there's, there's another person that I also want to call up real quickly, and, and that's uh, Amy Bordenero. Um, Amy is, um, basically, if you haven't heard about her, you haven't read the guide article, haven't been paying attention, or maybe this is your first time here. Um, Amy and her husband, Chris, uh, and her kids. Uh, you know what? You kids, you come on up too, okay? I know there's more family, but then we're running out of stage up here. So we're, we're, um, we're just so grateful to have these guys. Uh, you know, not that we're saying, hey, we, we have five for one sort of thing, but we know that these guys will have to sacrifice and they will have to basically do all those things that um, Matt's family has had to do. And, um, and, and I'm just thankful that God has worked in this process to call you through a long process of waiting and, and asking and praying and that sort of thing. And, um, and, and just so looking forward to that transition. So um, what, I, what I wanted to do was introduce you, of course you guys know Matt, and introduce you to Amy and Chris and Michaela and Mia and Caleb. Because uh, you're going to see all these guys anyway, and you'll definitely see me, probably for about 40, 45, 50 minutes uh, during the sermon. Um, but anyhow, um, I, I thought the best thing to do right now was uh, just mention, first of all, following the service, which we're hoping to keep short, uh, we're going to have a reception for these guys down in the fellowship hall. And we strongly encourage you to come down and just meet Amy and her family, thank Matt and his family for all that they've done, and uh, just celebrate uh, ministry and ministers and people who serve the Lord in, in, in the way that I think is appropriate. But I also want to uh, just uh, conclude um, with uh, just centering this in the things of the Lord. And so I'd like for you to bow with me. And I want to pray for, for both of these servants and their families as um, we go through this transition process. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for Matt, and we're thankful for Amy and her family, and for all the ways that you have worked in their lives to equip and to call and to enable, and to just show your grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy in that process of, of just going through time and space with other people in the ministry to where in the last few years we have had Matt as your servant to help our kids to see you. And I'm so grateful that we see you in Matt's life and how much that radiates into the lives of people around him because he uh, puts you first. And I'm thankful for the process that he led to lead a team uh, to discover who it is and discern who it is that you're calling to be a part of First Christian Church in the area of serving with our kids. And I'm thankful that the result of that, Lord, has been uh, Amy, your servant, who you have called to be here, and she has sensed that calling, and we've sensed that as well, and in the way that is deeply resonated in conversation, in spirit, in, in, in mind, and in unity, um, we can only attribute that to you being at work in this whole process. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for being faithful to First Christian Church, and we pray that you would find us faithful in our stewardship of the gospel. 
Thank you for Amy's family and for the ways that they support her and in her work and in her ministry. Thank you, Lord, for the way that um, I've seen uh, just in the brief encounter I've had with them, uh, your spirit at work in their lives as well. So, Lord, as we just celebrate these two servants and lift them up to you, we pray that you help us to give honor to whom honor is due. We pray that you would bless the road ahead as, um, as Matt discerns where it is that he puts his energy next. And as Amy discerns how it is that um, she is called to connect with the needs of the body and the needs of the community for the purpose of your kingdom and ultimately for your glory. So we seek the anointing of your spirit to be upon both. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would not only enable them, equip them, and empower them, but as things work together in their lives, that they one day lay fruit before your throne, saying, we, we, we've offered this to you. And in, in your strength and your strength alone uh, can we accomplish those things. So bless them, and may your peace and your grace rest upon them as we move forward into the work that you've called us to do. And all God's people said together, amen. amen. All right. Well, go ahead and have a seat, you guys, and welcome. And Brian, I think, uh, are you done? So I, I'm up here. You're stuck with me. Well, let's, uh, let's just take a minute and um, see if there's any prayer concerns or anything on your heart that just is bubbling up you, you need to be praying for. Anybody have anything that... You brought into the room today that you're like, I'm burdened with this, or I need prayer. Becky? His dad is still at St. Ruth's. Okay. His mom is down at a facility for therapy, so okay. George and Jane Smith, we'd appreciate George and Jane Smith. So please keep those guys lifted up, uh, Chuck's parents, and hopefully God can help them through this, this time of trial. Anyone else? Okay, well, um, I didn't realize I was going to be up here the whole time, so I will just get my notes. I've only got like 10 pages of sermon here, because, uh, you know, I've been on vacation. I've got a lot inside, right? But as uh, and you're like, Matt was in and out in no time. He created a new, a new standard for me, so I'll try to do what I can. But let's just lay that aside for right now, and um, let's uh, take... Uh, what we are doing here and center it before the Lord's throne. So would you bow with me and let's just, um, let, let's, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we take the substance of those things that are unseen but very real, and that is our faith and our trust in you, even as we walk through the doors, we know that in the past week, uh, we've been burdened with challenges and trials and temptations and things that really test our faith. And yet, as you call us, we know that you are faithful. That as you've invited, invited us into a family through your son, Jesus, we know that we have um, an inheritance, we have a new identity, and we are being made into a new creation. And I just pray for anybody here who is just asking questions, kicking the tires, 
perhaps waiting to discover what it is that you have to say that would be compelling enough to draw them in. And so if there are any hearts here today, Lord, that are just wondering, are you real? Are you worthy of being followed? I just ask, Father, that you help us to show that you are. And Lord Jesus, we have just celebrated uh, two individuals and their families, and we just want to express gratitude that we can even be in this moment with them. We look forward to ways that you are going to show up, things that you will do in our lives, the road that as we make the plans, you direct the path on, and all the ways that you call us to tune in to your presence. So help us as a church to be open-handed towards you, to recognize our dependency upon you and the empowering that can only come from your spirit. Help us to be the people for the world around us that help them to see Jesus. Lord, I, I, I want to pray for uh, George and, and Jane Smith. I just ask, Lord, that you help them, sustain them in this moment, give them the grace that they need and the healing. And there are a lot of others in the room that I know are carrying burdens. And I just ask that in, in, in that quiet desperation, they would also know that they're being heard by you and that you would give them your embrace. And so whatever suffering or struggle is happening, just help them to be known that your mercy and your love um, are, are, are just a prayer away. I pray, Father, for um, just as, as we are in this season where we're ramping up for the fall and as Amy is thinking about all the things that are potentially uh, there in front of her to minister to and to uh, just uh, invest in lives and ways of doing things that are kingdom-oriented. I just pray that you bless her in that regard. And as we just lift these things up to you in, 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 in all of the ways that they work together for good in Christ, um, help us to also be working in concert uh, alongside these efforts to be ministers of mercy and grace and to use our giftings. So as we tune into you, Lord, help us to pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I want to open up my message this morning by asking a question. And I asked it last week, and I want to ask it for the next few weeks. What is it that the world needs now? Because you walk into this room and you're thinking about all the news stories that have happened, the events that have happened, the crisis, the things that have uh, been very disturbing and upsetting in the world, and even in your own experiences. And you're asking, are there capable people? Is God able to fix it? 
And that question actually has been on the minds of followers of Jesus since the time that he walked the path that he did from Galilee to Jerusalem. And it was heavy on his heart and his mind that the things of the kingdom would begin to manifest in the hearts of his people. And he was trying to bring to bear an alternate reality, an alternate way of looking at life and living life that with the reality that he's walking into and all the ways that it didn't mix with the reality that he envisioned, he was hoping to bridge those two worlds where on earth as it is in heaven, where what we're doing here is reflective of what is happening there. And honestly, if I were to answer the question, what does the world need now? I would say it needs the reality of heaven to come alive in the reality of life here on earth. And Jesus was the embodiment of all of that reality, just lived out and expressed, behaved, responding to other people, in the most godly way possible. But the problem that Jesus carried with him throughout his ministry was, how do I make that come alive after I am gone? So I have another question, and it's this. Who do people think of when they see you? And this is a question that I think is kind of a fun one, but it's also a serious one. Because there are some people in the room, and myself included, where this question does kind of play out. Like, for example, where's Jason Austin? There he is right there. I don't know if you guys know Jason Austin or not, but um, he's one of those people that there's a certain celebrity that I see all the time. And every time I see him, I'm like, well, that's Jason. What are you doing on TV? You need to get off there. And he knows where I'm going with this, so here we go. So when I think of, when I see... Jason, I think of this guy, right? <laughs> Am I right? I mean, seriously. And I've even seen Jason do the eyebrow thing. And I'm like, oh, that makes me shudder because I'm like, I don't want to cross this dude because sometimes I'm talking to him. I'm like, am I talking to the rock or am I talking to Jason? Because if you've ever seen Jason in a short sleeve shirt, he works out. I mean, he's a pretty, wouldn't mess with him at all. So, and I try to just, you know, if I see Jason, I just kind of scooch off to the side and, you know, he's one of those people. And what's so funny about that is, you know, uh, Jason and, and Kendall, whenever uh, they were thinking about a, another person in, um, in our church that, that you all know who doesn't like to come up on stage or be, you know, pointed out, um, is Brittany. And... And they said, you know, when we see Brittany, we see this person. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched. Uh, it is, see if I get this right. It's something about the N. In the works. I-N-N, the works on HGTV. So evidently, this, this gal, Lindsay uh, Kurowski, is uh, the kind of the, the person that is the the celebrity of the show. And what's so interesting about your observation is I, after, I, after I heard that, I'm like, well, what is this person like? 
Turns out she's a project manager. And I'm like, that's weird. Because if you know Brittany, you know that she's kind of a project manager over this place. Always making sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing according to the rules. And I don't know how this gal is, but I have a feeling it corresponds well. Isn't it funny how when you look like a certain person, you kind of act a certain way? I don't know. Maybe God just made a bunch of clones, and we just take a different form. Yeah, there's Brittany back there. She's, they're cooling her down because she's, she's like, yeah, I got projects for you guys. So nobody asked me, but I'll just throw this out too. Whenever I was younger, everywhere I went, when tennis was a big thing, uh, people kept saying, are you related to Jimmy Connors? And I don't know if you've ever seen Jimmy Connors or not, but um, uh, people say that we look very similar. Uh, maybe you see the similarity, maybe not. Fact of the matter is, I used to enjoy playing tennis. I really did. Wasn't nearly as good as he was. And my temper, I kind of kept inside it and break rackets on the court. I didn't yell at people, but I thought about it. So perhaps there's something there. And if you go to my house, actually the only piece of sporting equipment that I have left is my tennis racket. And I don't know what that means other than there just seems to be an uncanny connection between who people associate you with when they see you. And many times it's a famous person. Hopefully it's not an infamous person, but rather just somebody that you're like, yeah, you remind me of that person. Not only how you look, but how you carry on. And this is sort of a little bit of the genius that Jesus had in mind whenever he was thinking about this big problem, about what the world needs now. He was thinking, how is it that I can create a community of people that when they, when, when they are seen by others, the first thought that crosses their mind is, I see Jesus. I see Jesus. And I have a picture of Jesus. I went back in a time machine and took it, and there it is. No, I, d- I didn't do that. But it would be cool, wouldn't it? Because nobody really knows what Jesus looks like, but you can't not know him. There is something about what he brought into this world that for 2,000 years, we have been reminded on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, with the Internet all the time, that there was a guy who came, and he was different. And there's something about him that says, I would like to know him more. I'd like to just hear his voice. I'd like to know what he thinks. Because I get a sense that he might be for me in ways that no one else has ever been. And if that's your hunch, then I don't think your feelings are misguided at all. Because the fact of the matter is, whatever form Jesus has physically, what really appeals to us is his heart and how his heart is wired. And it is wired deeply and profoundly with a love for 
all the people that are made in God's image, and that's pretty much everybody. And the whole environment that those people live in, the world. He so loved the world that he said, I would give my very life for the world. But maybe you have a picture of Jesus that doesn't quite square with that. Yeah, because the reality of the kingdom and the reality that you and I live in every day, well, they're not the same. Now, there's another person I want to mention. She tried something that I never have ever tried, so I can't judge, and I'm guessing it wouldn't end well for me either. But while we were on vacation, my wife tried a virtual reality headset called Oculus. Anybody ever try that? Okay, well... I'm, I'm pretty good about jumping into things. I was a little timid about that. She puts it on, and she just boldly goes where none of the Moors have ever been. And she, you know, is trying to navigate all the sensory input from another world while at the same time trying to navigate the world of what you see. And, well, it didn't end well. She uh, was walking on a plank on a, I don't know how many story skyscraper, and she fell off. Only when she fell off, she thought she fell off. And then she fell and crashed. And not well, it was actually almost a trip to the hospital. So it really was a shocker to try to navigate the one world and at the same time be aware of what's happening in the other. And if you want the details, just feel free to see her. She'd be happy to tell you, probably with some embellishments. And there's probably something I did that I didn't do that she's going to say, we've got to throw him under the bus here. Just a little pre-qualifier there for that conversation. But, you know, as you think about the world that is sort of virtual and the world that is real, it is not a whole lot different than what Jesus was carrying around in his head. Only that actually was the more real world, believe it or not. The unreal world is actually the world that you and I live in because there's so much about the world that you and I live in that after the fall that we read about in the garden, it became distorted. God's creational purpose sort of went sideways. And while we think that the world that we live in should be filled with love and peace and harmony and goodness, among a lot of other things, you and I know we don't live in that world. But that's the world that God created. That is the world that God said, this is the way it's supposed to be. But where it breaks down is, I think, in a lot of ways, where it breaks down in, in, in my wife's story about the VR headset, you, you, you start to really see that those two worlds, they don't come together very well. There's an art to doing that. And there are probably people that navigate VR headsets with no problem whatsoever because they've done it for a while. And as Jesus is looking at the 12 people plus, because he had a whole lot of followers that began to emerge asking the question, does Jesus have something that the world needs, that my world needs? And a lot of people were discovering 
the answer to that question is yes, he does. And so they started to follow him. And what he did and what he said just made sense. But there were a couple of things that didn't make any sense. And that was as he's carrying on and he's talking, he's teaching, he's saying, yeah, there's going to come a moment just on the road ahead where I'm going to be arrested. And it's not going to end well. I'm actually going to be put to death. And they're like, we don't hear you, Jesus. We're just going to tune that part out. We don't want to hear that. Have you ever heard something and you're like, yeah, you know what? Didn't hear that. Doesn't fit. We're just going to ignore that. We'll put a piece of tape over it. Like the dashboard of your car when that red light comes on that annoys you. Let's just, let's just pretend that's not there. But for Jesus, that was a critical component of what the world needed. And we're not going to go into that in this message, but I am going to say this. But as he's looking at the 12 especially, who are going to be the embodiment of who he is, that when people, his hope was that when people saw them, Peter, James, Jude, John, Thaddeus, can you think of any others? They would see Jesus. And that was the only way that it would work. And so he's teaching in a way that pokes and prods and challenges and causes people to kind of look at things from a different angle. And the best way to do that, he felt, was to tell stories. And to basically make analogies. So here's where our text comes in. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke chapter 18. And we're going to explore uh, verses 9 and following for a few minutes. And see what he has to say about bridging that gap so that his followers will see him or people will see him in the lives of his followers. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, that is, they thought, when you see me, you see God. That's, that's at the bottom line, that's what that means. So they're like, hey, we got it together. If you want to see God, look no farther than us. But then what they did is when they looked at other people, they looked down on everyone else. Because essentially they were saying, I'm like God and you're not. Step up your game. And that's all people heard day in and day out. So much so that they just were like, I don't even know why I bother. I can in no way achieve the level of righteousness that they do. And Jesus calls them out on it. Because he's saying it doesn't work that way. So Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other tax collector. So we have a couple of extremes here. Trader, tax farmer, one of us, but not for us, person. And so everybody's like, how can you even make the comparison? But the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like those people 
robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like the tax collector, this guy here. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like him. And just to validate it, to give it a, it's a bona, bona fides, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. What more could you ask for, God? Let me just push the pause button for a second and ask you a question. What is the greatest commandment? Because we're going to explore that actually next week. Because there's a guy who is a ruler who's hearing this conversation. He's got questions. And in his mind, he knows the answer, or he thinks he does. And that is, what is the greatest commandment, by the way? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, of course, love your neighbors yourself. And you're not really seeing much of that going on here. There's a lot of love God, but not a lot of love your neighbor stuff going on. But then there's this other guy. He's a tax collector, and he stood at the distance, and he would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me. I live in a world. I am the product of a world. I have the heart and the mind of a person that lives in a world that is not real. I can't even look to you because your world, God, and mine are so, so different. And he, so that's what essentially he's saying. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And essentially, you've got two, two ways of approaching God here. One guy has positioned themselves to say, I got it all together. I'm right here. I've got my religious ducks in a row. I've got my behaviors in line with what I believe are the appropriate set of behaviors. And I don't do those things that other people do. But in that thought process, do you hear the greatest commandment coming through? Or do you hear something else? And essentially, I think Jesus is trying to point that out here. That when you recognize something about yourself, and that is there is a difference, and I am a sinner, and I am not worthy of being a part of your world, please have mercy on me. Jesus is saying that actually is the posture that opens up the door. He wasn't concerned about his position in society. He wasn't concerned about how he positioned himself socially with other people. He was aware that my only posture here is humility. And that's an important point to keep in mind. Because as Jesus is telling the story, he's hoping people will get it. Matter of fact, he's trusting that people will get it because there's no plan B here. So let's continue on in the, in, the, in the text. He says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. As we've gone through Luke, I just want to point out that we heard prayers early on by Mary and by John the Baptist at Zechariah that were expressions of that very thought. And when Jesus preached his very first sermon, it had embedded in it this sense that those who think they're so great, but yet don't have God, 
they're the ones who are going to take the fall. And those who are lowly and recognize the desperation of their circumstances, those guys will be the ones who bring in the kingdom. And I don't know where the tax collector was at in his thinking, but I got to believe that you don't aspire to be a tax collector where out of the gate you say, okay, you know what, I'm part of this community of people. But what I want to do whenever I get my job is I want to approach the Roman government and say, hey, can you show me ways that I can take money from my people and give it to you? Does anybody aspire to do that? Would, would you aspire to do that? Yet the Romans, in their minds, thought the best people to get the money are people from within. And this guy kind of sold his soul. And he realized over time that I've done a lot of things that I'm ashamed of. I'm not worthy. I want to know God. I am desperate. And here's what I've discovered as a follower of Jesus and in Scripture. Desperation is the precursor to transformation. It is only when you have something that says, I am not fit for the kingdom. I'm not right with God. I'm not right in my heart. God, I'm just desperate for a job. I'm desperate for an income. I'm desperate for a relationship. I'm desperate for a healing. I'm desperate for some kind of answer to this prayer that I prayed forever and ever about this personal need that I have. And the list just goes on and on. And the Pharisee said, I don't need that. I'm good. I'm content. I don't need to be desperate for God. And Jesus said, because of that, you're not going to change. You're not going to embody everything that I've been announcing regarding the kingdom. But it, oddly enough, the tax collector is a prime candidate for the kingdom. And in Luke, you hear that over and over and over, that the people that are socially marginalized, the people that are despised, the people that are hurting, the people that are broken, the people that are just longing in desperation for God to touch their lives, to, to cleanse their, their spirit, to deliver them from demons, to changing the leprosy into healthy skin, on and on, those people said, God... I can't do it without you. And perhaps the best prayer maybe I've ever prayed is, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord Jesus. Anybody ever pray the help me, Lord Jesus prayer? <laughs> I hope so. I hope everybody has. Because I've discovered that when I do that, and I'm not trying to manipulate him, but I'm just simply saying, hey, I can't. I can't do this. Without you, Jesus shows up. That's what he means by being exalted. You'll be in that place where you are now right-sized in your humanity. And you can see God. Well, Jesus is looking at his disciples, and he's saying, I've said a lot of things, and I, sometimes I feel like I'm just sort of bumping my gums. You ever have that with your kids? Maybe your kids have been like, yeah, we've had that with you too. So I'm sure it's a two-way street. Uh, and it is amazing how easily they hear things when 
you are clear across the house. We had, we had our daughter over for last week, and I was talking to Manny about a few things. One of them pertained to our daughter. And clear out of the woodwork, she came. She's like, I'm not sure about that. And I'm like, where did you come from? But if you were to say, hey, you want to help out with the dishes? She'd be like, huh, what would you say? And there's that. There's this selective tuning it out. And Jesus says, I'm not having any of it. And so he's pretty hard on his followers, and he's especially hard on this guy because this guy, well, he needs a wake-up call. And the guy that is watching this unfold, the ruler, we're going to be talking about next week, he's looking at it and he's saying, I got it together. I got a question. And I think I'm in the right spot in life. Well, tune in next week for that, but for right now, Jesus takes it to another level. And that's where we read these words in 15 and following. He says this, Now they're bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they, well, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them and he said, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Now, I think we live in a moment, and I believe we all agree that babies are adored when we have them. When Jared and Erica just had their baby and others that we know of recently, we're all about it. What's the sex? What's the size? What is the, um, you know, you got to know all the stats, I've learned. But in that day, babies were like, they were like property. And it was, did you know that it was believed that if you had a baby and you didn't want it, you just discarded it. And if you had a kid that was acting up and you didn't want it before the age of 12, this is no lie, you could just say, we don't want you anymore. And they just would abandon, left and right, children on the roadside. What's so fascinating about that is it was a common practice because children were really seen kind of like little animals. And that really was the thought. They're animals until they are conditioned and trained to become like humans meaning that they're not humans until they act like humans. And that's sort of the Roman way of life, and it caught hold even in the Mediterranean world that Jesus lived in. Basically what it said was kids don't account for much until they can basically account for themselves. And the disciples are looking at Jesus saying, what in the world are you doing catering to children? Now for us, it's like, well, it just makes sense. But for those people in that day to say even children matter. Matter of fact, they matter as much as anyone does because they're made in God's image and God's likeness. Now, we live in the legacy of a lot of Christian influence, but the fact of the matter is nobody cared except the church. And the early history of the church was really caught up with the notion of finding these abandoned children, and finding ways to embrace them in their homes. I mean, they're the original fosterers of kids. They are the original adopters of kids for no other reason than they're made in God's image. That didn't come from any other place but Christianity. And 
just as a sidebar, we are in a critical moment where we have overturned a law that for many, many years said, you know, you can, you can, you no longer have the right to terminate your baby. And so Christians would say, hey, we're pro-life. But here is the challenge, church. You're going to have people having babies. And where's the church? Because the response by many people will be, now, I'm ha- now I have this kid. And you seem to be pro-birth, but you're not really pro-life. And so there's more to bringing kids into the world than just saying, let's not kill them. And it was that intentionality that the church embraced to a point where they took the responsibility of training them in the things of God and showing them exactly what it was like to be made in God's image, to know the story of where that came from, know where it broke down, and know where we're responsible for that in our own right. And then to know what to do about it. And if there was ever a time that we have to recapture that and reclaim that, because the culture is no longer saying, hey, we're a good Christian culture. We are not in that moment on the timeline. We're in a moment that says, hey, you want to know about your sexuality? We'll tell you all about it. Hey, you want to know about, just pick your thing, your identity. You want to know about money and greed, and you want to know about relationships and all these categories that the church said, we want to teach you this. And we just sort of defaulted to the world and said, we'll let them teach it, and we'll just help them get saved. There's a, this is a tall order, people. When you look at the formative influences that will affect the children who are actually ripe for what the world needs now. I'm not going to overstate it other than to say I'm so grateful for what Matt has done to keep that process going under very sketchy conditions. And now that we are in this moment of regrouping and re-centering everything that we do, we've had to ask some hard questions because the world is not the same as it was two years ago. And God says, this is a perfect opportunity to revisit important attitudes and questions that pertain to the kingdom, which we as a church have been talking about, but especially now, that pertain to the influence that we have on kids. I truly believe we are in that moment right now as First Christian Church, where God is saying, now we gotta work on that. So Amy, thank you for answering that call, for seeing our need, knowing that we're a work in process and being okay with that. And then being open to seeing the kingdom come alive in our kids. That's our job, people. Because if we pray the Lord's Prayer every Sunday saying, on earth as it already is in heaven, we're basically saying, God, 
Help us to make the reality of all that is there here. When people see you, who do they think of? And I just pray that when people see the family of God at First Christian Church, the first thought, even with my friend Jason and myself, and I'll throw Brittany under the bus, is our Lord Jesus. We've seen him in Matt, and I know we'll see him in Amy, but I hope I can see him in everyone. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we are grateful for the stewardship of the gospel, for the way that it grows like a mustard seed in our hearts and our minds and our lives and our relationships, and it just overflows into everything else. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you embodied what it meant to be a, a human as you emptied yourself of your divinity and trusted the Father at every turn in a spirit of dependence and even desperation. And thank you, Lord Jesus, as we just look at your life and we see the ways that you have loved and sacrificed all at the same time. We know that our calling isn't any different. And in the backdrop of that is what a world needs. And you're looking to this church and churches all over the planet to wake up and say, how can we manifest the reality of the kingdom in the times that we're in. Help us just do that in our own lives, in our own relationships, with our own families, with our own friends and coworkers. May you be seen everywhere we go. And Lord, I just pray for anyone here who does not know what it is like to be a part of your family, that we hopefully are of such a hospitable nature that they would sense that your love overflows from our lives to theirs. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would draw more people in, into that space that says, I'm a follower of Jesus. I am a member of his family. I am a new creation. Lord, thank you for that gift of the unseen becoming seen. May that manifest in our lives as we um, trust you for the road ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right now, if you have your communion cups, uh, feel free to peel um, the communion wafer out and the cover off the top. As unceremonious as that is, perhaps that's just apropos. Because Jesus came and manifested in a way that didn't really fit the niceties and the proprieties of civilized religious culture. Rather, he just said, this cup that I am about to share with you, physically in the terms of the wine that is in it, is a symbol of a deeper reality and a deeper covenant that I have with you. It is the basis for our connection. It is where the life that I give flows into your life. And so we ask for forgiveness when we look at the shed blood of Christ and when we see this wine that is embodied in this very humble vessel 
it is just symbolic of that very reality. God will forgive you. But God takes it a step further and says, I broke my body for you so that you could become something new. And so he says, I not only want to forgive you of your sins, but I want you to move into loving other people and being the embodiment of my love. So look at it in both those ways and then covenantally trust that what he calls you to do, he will enable you to accomplish. Let's take our communion. Stand, we'll close. Now, there's a lot of people that don't like to sing out loud. No judgment. If I didn't have to talk for the rest of my life, I'd probably be okay. I don't love to sing either, but um, we do it because we praise God. So if you're, his last song is actually really pretty. So if you don't like singing out loud, at least either sing it to yourself or use the words as a prayer. Um, but staying focused on Christ and everything. My soul is weak when it seems I can't traverse the trail before me. I survey the glory of your agony, and I find the will to fight for what's before me. You ran the race, enduring for your glory. you 
be with y'all. Yeah, I thought, remember, everybody head downstairs. We got donuts and drinks. Um, just be a little time together before you head off to your groups. <laughs> 